0: i I'm just an individual, living the miracle, standing divisible, connected to God in my physical, essence of my spiritual presence is visible, totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal, used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life, is going through different intervals, finding that balance is significantly difficult, timing is everything, so my timing is critical, rhyming is literal, the unforgettable, it's why you stand before you, impeccably so presentable, I give respect to you, know that I am respectable, I've always wanted acceptance, that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional and I'm a grown man handle no business like a professional. I give incredible legal really conventional. and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprecedented.
1: Welcome to NC Raw. Recovery always. My name is Steve Steen. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with my Recovery lion homie Caleb <laughs> McCoy. Oh,
2: thank you. I appreciate it.
1: What's happening, brother man? What's up? What's up? How's everybody doing tonight? Having a blast, bro. And we have a couple of firsts. Yeah. For NC Raw. To start off. We are due to unforeseen circumstances, we are broadcasting remotely.
2: Off the grid.
1: (laughs) Not in our usual studio. Um, We are in Courtney's kitchen. So please bear with us. The audio quality might not be up to the the standards and expectations that we set on our first couple episodes. Uh, You might hear the dog bark. You might hear a car drive by. Uh, We're not in the confines of the studio on campus. Keeping it raw, baby. And the second first is we have our first guest joining us tonight, Samantha Bradley. What's the amazing, <laughs> the amazing
2: Samantha Bradley.
1: What's the, up?
3: What's up?
1: Welcome to NC Raw.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: So, from what I understand, you are a person in long term recovery? That's right. Proud. All right, and you're you're a local from the
3: Jackson County area. Yes, I am local, born and raised in Jackson County.
2: <laughs> raised ain't gonna get no love on here.
3: <laughs> I was gonna go with, um, my stomping grounds is Cherokee for sure. Okay. Yeah.
1: So w- we're gonna get into your um your experience with recovery a little bit, and. I kind of wanted to kind of ask you quite a few questions on like what your experience has been, um, with recovery, but to first start off, I wanted to just like, maybe you could just tell our listeners like kind of what your experience was, um, prior to finding recovery, just kind of give us a, a, a brief little snapshot on what life was like before recovery.
3: So growing up, well, around Cherokee, everybody knows everybody. Um, and everybody knows what's going on. So I, my childhood was great. Um, My father died at age 16, but I, so I kind of was like, went off the grid and was living with men, anybody that would take me in pretty much. So um, everybody knows everybody. So I had support from my friends.
1: So you're 16 when this happened? Yeah,
3: 16. So I tried to fill that void.
1: Did you have any prior experience with substance use before that
3: time? Um, yeah, for sure. Um smoking weed with my brothers. Um, buying Xanax from students at school. Uh and just it just led to other other harder drugs, but those were the, the beginning stages of my addiction and that was, you know, my my sophomore junior year. I was still a child.
2: I don't, know, I don't know if you remember this or not, but who took you to the hospital after your dad passed away?
3: Yeah, so Caleb and I have been friends for a while. My dad passed away when I was living there. How long was that? Mean? I mean, I was, I was um, 15. I wasn't 16 yet.
1: <laughs> so is it appropriate for me to ask how old you are now?
3: Yeah, sure. I'm 29.
1: Dang, we did, look at way back, huh? Yeah,
3: so it it makes full circle for sure, right? Um, you know, I yeah, it that I kind of like I didn't grieve it at that time, um, and I have. I mean, I was I was grateful that you know he was in, not sick anymore, but that kind of led off that deep end for sure. But Caleb was there to answer the question. Caleb was there. He took me. To see my family, it was pretty devastating.
2: I wouldn't say that I was a good influence at that time. Obviously, yeah, um, that's what that was gonna be
1: my follow-up <laughs> question. Was like, what was life I like was, from your perspective on that situation?
2: I was not a good influence at that time. Uh, I, I can't remember honestly. It's right. You know, we can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, it's you know done a lot of things that would. would may uh affect my memory since then, but I do remember taking her because that that was a significant event, so
1: okay
3: yeah, um I mean we were that was our thing per cap parties, you know like that was our thing just getting getting high,
1: okay, so prior to you getting into long term recovery, did you have any attempts at stopping use or did you
3: um well I stopped counting the attempts at like 10 there's Mm -hmm. so many attempts um but in my heart I always wanted better I always knew there was better um so as far as attempting I mean when I was was in high school I wanted to go to college you know I, I always wanted to do better um something always came up and it was usually my using. Um, and so... What...
1: Leading up to those attempts, what... Was there anything that... brought you to that point? Or, like, led, led you to want to try to stop?
3: <laughs> um, I would like to say yes. <laughs> I didn't really care about anything. Um, I even... There was some major event, you know. I, I lost so much, um, but I would have to say, if there was one thing that I wanted to change my life around for, um, it wasn't myself because it was my family. My family is super supportive. Um, my mom would have have did recovery for me mm-hmm. if she could. Um, but there wasn't. I mean,
2: with all that being said. Obviously, you know we, we know what you turn turn to for comfort. Right. So, what was it that you? I mean, what made you turn to start trying to find recovery, and how and how do you sustain your recovery now?
3: So, there's been many attempts, as I said, and there has been defining moments, such as going to jail. Um, I can relate to Caleb's story a lot. Jail was where I was like on my knees praying for a different way, but that it took more than just that. Um, I went to like every treatment in Western North Carolina, every one, I could write a book on it. Like (laughs) if you want to know about a treatment, ask me. Um, um, so, um, the major, major thing that happened, um, I started, I ran away from probation. Um, they put me on supervised probation, which was, a reward instead of going to jail. Um, I decided that, you know, I was going to lie to the probation. I was going to do what I wanted to do. I failed for a drug test and then I ran. Um, and I didn't have anywhere to run. I lost everybody. And so I, I went to Haywood County. How I got there, I don't know. Um, I met an older guy who sold drugs and I stayed there. Um, and a part of my story is I stayed at this man's house because I didn't have anywhere to go and he sold me pills and I got pregnant by this guy this man (laughs) and so the turning point is getting pregnant and um deciding that my baby was worth it.
2: How many I mean obviously you lost count of how many different treatment centers you went into, so with that being said, how come treatment didn't work for you or was it the treatment or was what you know what you was going through at that time or because so many families I get a lot of questions you know mm-hmm. of, of why you know why doesn't treatment work because we always have this uh mm-hmm. perception of like when people's not ready because we, we place this label on what we think they should be ready for, yeah, so with that how come how come treatment didn't work for you
3: um Well, first, let me say that I gained a lot of tools from treatment. Um, um, Treatment didn't work for me because that's not what I wanted. Somebody placed me there every time it was uh, either probation or my mom or just uh, not me. I I didn't want to be there. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to Mary Benson House um, that it was a treatment center. That was a year-long program, Um, and I want to say that that worked for me. That's that's where I started finding recovery. and I think what they did different is, it was a gradual process. So in the first 30 days, obviously you're on uh, some kind of restriction because you're trying to you know, avoid all the old life. But they allow you to go back into the community with all this accountability. You know, You come back, you get drug tested. So I was able to work, I was able to get my peer support, I was able to have my child. I was able to live life, but still have accountability. It was kind of like having roommates. Um, all the other treatment centers, it wasn't quite like that. You know, it was go to class, go to class, go to a meeting, NA meetings, AA meetings. And I'm going to tell you part of my story is that's not what works for me. I don't, I don't go to NA. I don't go to AA. I, I love them. I respect them and I enjoy what they do. And I've been there, but that just not works for me. So, um, getting to choose where I went for my recovery, what I did, but still come home and, and drug test. And, um, that led into me getting my driver's license and I don't know, that was just like a, the way it was like uh, transitional, they called it, transitional.
1: So you mentioned this program. Yeah. What was it called? Mary
3: Mary Benson House, and it's okay. um, one of the only treatment centers in Western North Carolina um, where you can have your children. It's not the only one, but it's the closest one to us.
1: So you found out you were pregnant. And what happened next? Like, how did how did you get from get the news that you were pregnant or whatever, and deciding that you wanted to get help to ending up in this place? Like, how did that? What was the progression like?
3: Um, I decided. Um, I found out I was pregnant. I was in jail. I did ninety days. I served my ninety days, and uh, which was like uh, seemed like forever. Um, Everybody kept saying, you look like, you know, you have a noodle baby because <laughs> of the noodles. But uh, <laughs> I was actually pregnant. I went to a treatment center where they did not accept pregnant women. Um, but because of God, who I, you know, is my higher power power, um, I was allowed to stay there, which was a miracle. Um, and they found somewhere for me to go that was close and where I could get support with my three-year-old. Um, but that change in events, being pregnant by somebody who sold me drugs, was shameful. I mean, I'm very ashamed of it. Not a lot of people know my story. Um, the guy's in prison for 20 years for selling meth. Um, and I want to say he'll never be a part of our lives again, but he will. I mean, he's going to get out. Um, but what I chose to do is, um, I, uh, you know, Liam is my son and we have a family i've created a family mm-hmm. where we can have open communication about my past i can be honest about that um
1: so you mentioned you have a family yeah <laughs> i can hear the excitement in your voice yeah tell me about what that's like
3: oh something i prayed for for a long time i mean i made so many mistakes um All I wanted was stability. I wanted to share a home with somebody. I wanted to have kids. That was my dream. Not by my drug dealer. (laughs) But that's the way it happened. And And
1: somebody came into your life?
3: Yes, I have a shout out to Jermaine. Um, He was my son's daycare teacher. When I was in the program at Mary Benson, I walked in the doors, I saw a man watching my kid, and I was like, that is so attractive. And guess what? He doesn't know anything about—well, he didn't. Let me correct. He did not know anything about recovery or addiction and why the whys, because there are so many whys.
1: And that's where I was going with this. Yeah. I kind of wanted to know what that process was like when yeah. uh-huh. dating somebody that's not in recovery and not educated on it. But you shared with me in a prior conversation that he showed interest in learning, and he took steps to— educate himself and what was that like for you and like what what did he do to to meet you where you are
3: so I just when I was thinking about this question I thought it might come up um I answered it myself but I shared it with him earlier and he's like that's wrong (laughs) that's not what happened (laughs) so I said well tell me what happened and he said that what I did was allowed him space to learn instead of getting mad at him for using the wrong language, <laughs> mm-hmm. for you know not um, having any empathy with me. When I would make mistakes, I would be like, you just don't understand. And let me tell you, being in a relationship with a non-addict is almost as hard as being in a relationship with an addict because th- there is... You don't understand each other. It's total opposites. And uh, it's been a learning process. What I did most recently is I brought him to my therapy. I let him be a part of, you know. I said, you know, this is my accountability partner. Um, at first I didn't want him to be a part of because in my head I was like, this is my recovery and I'm going to keep it right here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it right here.
1: Um, so many of us do that.
3: Yeah, but he hated that. Oh, gosh, I mean, we almost lost our whole relationship. I was asking God, uh, you know, should I leave him? Or should we stay together? Because I wasn't sure because we weren't getting along. And finally, it—I was—I um, invited him. Somebody suggested that he come to my therapy, and that's what I did. And so now he's on board, and he could give you a family perspective one day.
1: Well, Caleb's been talking about doing a show on a family perspective, so it might be something we take a look at down the road.
3: Yeah. Also the. Uh, the culture difference is uh-huh. really cool.
2: I have a I have a question. That's um, we're gonna go back to, <clears throat> go back to what you just said a second ago. When you said a, a non addict and an addict. So I, and I I mean obviously you know we've both we've both been through the peer support training. Yeah. With that being said. How And you know this as well as I do. Yeah. How can we expect anybody in the community to look at us differently if we keep saying, using that stigma-related label?
3: Yeah, that was just the old quote I heard, so I guess it goes back. Um, it was like a, I heard it in an NME and okay.
2: <laughs> surprise.
3: So, you know. <laughs>
2: easy now, easy.
3: <laughs> sorry. No, it, that's where it came from. And I, that stuck with me because, obviously, the situation. But, I mean, you know. I guess yeah. I am big on language, and um, he's really just a family supporter of my journey because, I mean, he literally could tell his own story because it's not it, it his perspective. Oh my goodness, it's he went through a lot with me. I mean, even in recovery.
2: <laughs> so, how does he, how does he take it with you always giving so much to you know your job as a mm-hmm. peer support specialist? How how does he handle that?
3: oh that we have came a long way um at first it was like no you can't answer your phone after five o'clock or and are you kidding me you're gonna meet with a male you know because the Not trust me. issues <laughs> you're gonna meet with the male today you know um and so and i can't tell him any information on my job you know about the person i have to keep that that fine line i have to get that line right there um Really, it was just about building trust. I would uh, share my 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 celebrations through the day. Not the peer. Not the person I supported. But today, I got to feed somebody. Today, I got to close somebody. Today, I got housing for somebody. And he saw that joy. And that that's what I love. And that's my passion. And, um, I mean, that's the only job I'll ever have. For multiple reasons. Um, and, but... He there was gonna, you know, he he decided that to be on board with this would be uh, a good option. Um, when he was going against the grain, I was very upset. Um, it just took a lot of communication.
1: It's a pretty bold statement to say it's the only job you're ever gonna have. The only yeah. job. So tell me what that's like. Like I know it's a the peer support specialist career path that you've chosen kind of plays a. A vital role in your recovery process, right?
3: Yeah. uh, uh, Employment is my recovery pathway for sure. Um, That's just one of the things.
1: What's it like life on the job on a daily basis? What do you. How does that support your recovery? It
3: varies. Um, I say that's going to be my only job. I want to point out that I'm a felon and I don't. That's not my label, but uh, that's the truth of the matter. Um, And I will never be able to get it expunged.
1: Hashtag ban the box.
3: Yeah, up in the box, yeah. Which show, and I'm working towards, like, being a peer support may not be my job title, but in my heart, you know, that's what I'll always do. I'll give back to others for my, you know, being able to tell my story. I don't want to be put behind a desk. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I say that. Um, So you
1: want to engage the community. Yeah, yeah. I want to be
3: right beside them, not, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, But what my my daily job... Like,
1: what's your experience been like on a, you know...
3: It's it's, um, getting... Individual and getting to know the individual. Um, I call them peers. That's what that's my choice of word. Um, mm-hmm. There are other words, but uh, and what their needs are, and let them create their journey, not me say, This is what we're going to do today. Um, but what it looks like is I, I drive over to Haywood because that's where I work right now. Um, and usually I meet with two or three people a day. Uh, some huge things, you know, I help them like for instance, I'm helping someone gain their guardianship back. They don't even have rights of their self. And today we worked on going to the courthouse and gaining that back. You know what I'm saying? Like you can now be your own person. You don't have, you know, because, and that's a tough, I mean, that's, that's been, that's not been an easy journey, but to be a part of that and, and not say, you know, I did this for them, but letting them, let them do it. Um, I think some of the, the, coolest moments of my day is going down to the open door um that's kind of where it's like a community soup kitchen and sitting down and not wearing my badge and like being a part of the group not being a power a person of power you know I don't want to be that person of power I want to be just right beside
1: sitting them. down and finding yeah in yeah the
3: I want to eat that the soup kitchen you know I want to I want to get on that you know, that is my level. There's no other level for me. I don't go to the office much because I'd rather be, you know, at the community kitchen. <laughs> um,
1: so they keep you busy and you deal with some yes. pretty stressful stuff. How do you find the balance to not bring everyone else's, I don't know, baggage home with you?
3: Oh, that's a like a process. That doesn't happen. Um, I mean, it, I, I bring it home occasionally by okay. accident. But on good days, it's a... Um, it's just like whole health. Like, um, when I'm frustrated, I exercise. Um, but instead of bringing, I, okay. So I debrief, I debrief with my coworkers. Um, I choose prayer. (laughs) There's gotta be, you know, somebody greater that's helping me through this. Um, and, um the big one for me is supervision talking to my supervisors um I don't want anything hidden in the dark because this is a not a black and white job is a lot of gray you can get into stuff that you don't even mean to you know um and so just being honest about that today I let somebody ride I'm not really sure if I was supposed to just being honest because you don't want to carry that home with you because um, you know that feels really bad uh just being prompt about stuff making sure that I'm uh, time management is huge. But recently, my de-stressor is exercise. I'm on board with Kayla. Yeah, man. And and Caleb. After, like, y'all, are, y'all are
1: guilting the hell out of me over here, Yeah, man. All this exercise talk, man. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah How'd that hike how that go? Talk about you. a level of shame. Oh, yeah. man, yeah. We had a blast, dude. Yeah, a great time. Did you go? Yeah. I didn't hit that. I didn't hit Yellow Mountain, but we went. You saw some pictures from yesterday. Went over to High Falls, Lake Glenville. It was oh, a blast, yeah. yeah so...
2: What do you do oh okay, you said the gray there's a lot of grey area?
3: Yes.
2: <laughs> Tell us about some of that.
3: Um you know those <laughs> well they're called um they're for each facility they're different. Um, I can give you an example. Um so as a professional peer support, I'm not you know, I'm not supposed to contact anybody that I've served. Um, through facebook forever basically they say a year but i would just put you know forever if i serve caleb and i couldn't do that anyways that has to
1: be difficult in the community yes because
3: as a natural peer i want to that's what we do we connect so i'm sitting here i want to see what they're doing the rest of their you know the rest of their life um but that's a big one it's just do you choose to be the friend or do you not because each facility, behavior health facility is different. Sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's three years, it's that gray. So what I decided is I'm just not, because that, you know, that's just um, keeps me between the lines. But I don't, those are like learning lessons, I don't know. I try to stay out of the gray, I'm really black and white.
1: So do you ever feel like you're kind of letting down your your peers, your clients by setting that firm boundary with them and not not breaking it? At yes. any point, regardless of what your agency's um, policy is, you're setting a boundary to saying it's never going to happen, period. Yeah, that, never. That's what I heard, right?
3: Yeah, you're never going to. Uh, I don't say it like this, and I would never say it like this, but in the big realm, I'm saying I could never be your friend. But
1: you I, make it clear that yeah. there's going to be boundaries.
3: Yeah, I, but the reason why is because even though I say I don't want to be the power, person over power, or per, person of power, I am. I've served them. I know their background. I know them and their struggles or what they're, you know, um, and to be their friend down the line, even as a friend, just a friend, I would still have that power of them. I mean, that's just what it would be because I had that before. And and it's hard to explain to them because they don't – they just want a friend. They They see somebody who has not let them down, who has – uh, been there when nobody else has been there who's helped put food on their table and now they're asking you to be their friend and you can't and yes it's heartbreaking how,
2: how do you help put food on their table
3: take them to the food bank oh, okay. take them. take him to uh that's the other the gray oh there's no gray with that never mind that's it's more like yeah you, know, you can't give them money um take them. find all the resources in the community
1: Is it hard for you to, like, work with someone and put in all your effort and really not see them succeed or not see them take to recovery like you have? Like, what's that feel like?
3: Yeah, they make mistakes, and we have to sit back and watch it. We have to sit back and, yeah, financial mistakes um, all the time. I'm sitting back like, don't do that. But you have to be there when they fall. Mm -hmm and pick them back up and, and let's try again. You know, that is peer support. Peer support is showing them that there is somebody there. And I even have told them I've done this before, you know, and showing them a better way. Let's work out a budget, you know, and see if it works and it may not work. There are so, there's been so many failures.
1: So how early in recovery are these folks that you meet?
3: Um, well, they recover from all different, um, I mean, when
1: you meet them, are they like early recovery first, right well, out right out the gate? Or are they further along the
3: we process? We hope that they're further along because they're ready to meet goals. Uh-huh. We have an early recovery team, which I'll start on that ne- uh, next month. And that'll be a little different. That'll be like chasing peers around because they're not quite – they're in the contemplative yeah. um, st- stage of change.
1: So the title of our show is Recovery Always. And you shared with us kind of your perspective on – recovery and your approach to your personal recovery you mentioned that uh, traditional 12-step programs didn't quite yeah. f- didn't quite fit well for you not me and, and you defined your you defined your recovery right? mm-hmm. you exercise you pray bible studies uh, things of that nature so my question is how do you when you're working with a newcomer how do you help them discover their approach to recovery and what works for them
3: Can I add something to what I use? Bring it. (laughs) I want, um, I'm a huge advocate of Suboxone. Mm -hmm. Um, It works. I use it. I'm on Suboxone. Am I ashamed of that? No. Am I coming off? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that what saved my life? Yes. So I, part of my peer support is I, when people are in that point where they don't really know what to do, I suggest Suboxone. I mean, you don't have to, but especially if they're coming off, you know, painkillers. Um, but what I suggest is never, 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 never give up. Keep trying Pathways. Go to NA. Go to AA. Go to Celebrate Recovery. Go to church. Go meditate. Go to uh, Go to your therapist. Um, do Go to the Suboxone clinic you know, try it, try it until it works. Just try it until it works. And don't be ashamed if it don't work. Was I scared to say NA didn't work for me? Yes. But I finally accepted. That's not what worked for me. It triggers me, you know, but that's me. Um, and it works. It save so many of my friends and I'm a huge support. I'll sit with somebody at a meeting. Um, I'll take somebody, you know, to church, my friends, I'll invite, I suggest to my peers. Um, but yeah.
1: Active engagement until you find what
3: clicks. Yes. Um, I love it. I'm
2: glad, I'm glad you said that, Samantha. I have a, a question for you. Last
1: question. We're going to take a
2: break, all Yeah, right? okay. <laughs> Bring it. So, <laughs> have you thought about going back home and working as a peer support? <laughs> and if you did, what boundaries would you have to set? Would they be any different than what you already have set?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Yes, my dream, my dream, my dream. Um my first dream was to make it to Meridian, check. So I'm there. Um only because that's where I sat in class as a person struggling. Um and I would love. My second goal was to work at the treatment center. That's what I when I was um in the detox center, I, I heard about it being built. I said that's what I'm going to do. Because of the distance from where I live, that's not been an option for me right now. Um, but I want to work directly in the middle of Cherokee. I want to um, let people know <laughs> that they can do it. You know, it, it has been hard. I thought I was, like, going to die in Cherokee. I thought that um, I was either going to marry an old guy with a bunch of pills and he was going to deal them to me for the rest of my life or I was going to die. Um, but I want to show people... That, they're, that it's real that, that recovery is for everyone. And yes, I want to do it right from where I'm from. Would I have boundaries? Yes. What triggers me is Cherokee. I mean, that's just true. Uh, the language, the, the language, the, I don't know what it is. You know, somebody can come in my group. And say one thing about their pill dealer, and I'll be like, "Hmm, wonder who that is." You know, it's like I'm just directly in it. I don't have to, you know, I just because I, I know, it. I know everybody. My, you know, my own family, <laughs> my own brother. You know, it's like, I it's so easy. Um, but I want to get there. Um, I don't want to, you know. It'll take a while. I think I'm, I think I'm really just building up my skin on the outside right now. Um, actually my job moving to Jackson County will be covering some of Swain County. So you might see me down there on the outskirts, but yeah, i if anybody opens up a recovery home, Caleb, I would love <laughs> to be a peer support there. <laughs> I got we're, we're
2: working on it. Okay. We're working on
3: it. Yeah. Uh, I like being in connection with Caleb cause I know he's got the same goals as I do. Big goals. Like, um, I just don't. I somehow got under an agency, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've suggested that, suggest that to Caleb, and I think he would as well, but I think he also has other ideas for his community. So sometime I know we're all going to somehow link up, and it's going to change. It's going to change. This is the
1: first step of
2: that, right? Our Our vision is to have a peer support program under our organization, obviously, and yeah. we would dispatch wherever they're needed, to jails, to yeah. like prison, when people walk out of prison. Yeah. The Family services,
1: yeah.
2: I mean, just wherever because they're needed everywhere,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. I needed peer support. Where was it? Where was it? You know what I'm saying? Where was it? I like, I didn't get peer support. I need somebody to drive me. I mean, so we're not just driving around, but I needed that. I needed that. Peer support is my life. I mean, my life. If I could throw it to you in a ball and you catch it and you live it and you and you hold on to it, oh my gosh. I told. Caleb and Caitlin this a while back. I said I just want y'all to have it. What what I experienced, it changed my life. I wake every I wake up every day to serve somebody else. Not myself. Not myself. And I mean, I'm proud of what I do, but I'm more proud of them because they keep coming. They showed up. I really want to be a part of the the, the res uh stuff. But, you know, I kinda well, like I don't know you. where to put my hand in at it yet. We gotta see where you know, I don't know. There's so
1: Samantha. Thank you for coming on and sharing insight into your story and yeah. what your approach to recovery is. Thank you. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back momentarily to kind of continue this conversation, opening up the floor a little bit to Caleb and bounce some ideas off of each other. Coming up is a track from a listener submitted piece of music. From one of my homeboys out in Asheville. Notes. Thanks for tuning in.
0: Hey, look, what up, homie? Let me talk to you. As I lay in my bed, dwelling on my thoughts, thinking about my past and all the friends I done lost, all the pain I done seen, tears I done caused, walking this road to recovery, bruh. I remember when I got here. And I ain't wanna be here, I came because you came bruh That's the only reason, then you left me on my own In a place I ain't know Then I got that phone call that the Lord And called you home, oh my God, what the fuck fam I'm supposed to do now, I'm sitting in this meeting homie Looking for a way out, then I spoke about my pain Why the tears running down my face This ain't me man, this ain't me But for you, I changed And the tears came faster, others started crying My pain spreading like As I looked and I spoke to the room and I saw the faces, I knew the answer. I said, this is what you wanted. I'ma give it all I got. I'ma tell our story. I don't care if they like it or not. If they like it or not, you hear me? For real. I said, this is what you wanted. I'ma give it all I got. I'ma tell our story. I don't care if they like it or not if they like it or not. But look, man, the first two months, bruh, I'm sicker than a motherfucker trying to figure out how to deal with these motherfuckers till I met a friend who said, Hooks, come and work out, a stress reliever. And we can find something to talk about. I enjoyed the conversation. The kid was 19. Had a head on his shoulder. School and everything. And he put me on some step work. Started with a pyramid. Balance is what I needed. And that's how I started. Every time I had a problem, I had you to talk to. It didn't matter what I went through. You was always there. You was my light in my life when life wasn't fair. And times like now, bruh. I wish you was here. I remember when you peeled out. I ain't no the situation, and then waiting on your return so I can do my meditation, and you're passing your addiction, another friend lost, I made sure this is what I say to the people when I talk, I'ma give it all I got, I'ma give it all I got, I'ma tell our story, I don't care if they like it or not, you hear me homie, say I'ma give it all I got, I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to tell our story. I don't care if they like it or not. If they like it or not. Rest in peace, fam.
1: Welcome back to NC Raw. Thanks for tuning in. We have a special guest in studio, our first ever Guest appearance. We also have a a live studio audience today. What?
3: what? Hey, the recovery
1: lioness, 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 sitting in, watching us. Um, So I wanted to kind of dig into what strikes me the most and interests me the most in the process of change and the process of recovery, and talk about those defining moments. Those, those brief moments of clarity where we've had enough, we feel so much guilt, so much shame, such a high level of hopelessness that we want to pursue change and that we want to pursue recovery. And I wanted to ask both of you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, Samantha, but I wanted to ask both of you, like, what was that process like for you? What happened? I mean, you shared your story publicly, but not all of our listeners have heard it, Caleb. Like, what happened? What was the experience like? What was the transformation like? But really, that that defining moment, that moment of clarity where you're like, I'm done. I'm changing my life. It starts today.
2: Well, as I've told in the past, um, I was writing my dad a letter who had passed away of cancer and i've I done some things that obviously i was carrying shame around where from, were you where were I, you i was in swan county jail and <clears throat> i was writing him a letter and writing, you know laid my pen down i walked upstairs and uh you know the preacher walked in and he started sharing the word with me and i was asking him asking for a sign that my dad was still with me you know watching over me
1: you're uh, in your prayers
2: yeah. Uh-huh. And so I walked downstairs and uh, you know, as I shared before, he he shook my shook my hand and told me he loved me and winked at me just the way my dad used to. And so I knew right then that God was trying to give me a sign. This man had similar
1: characteristics he, of your father. He, he
2: wore his watch the same way, uh he kept his mustache trimmed the same way. Uh-huh. Just his his flannel shirt. He had it was the same kind of sh I mean everything was, you know, just it was like my dad was visiting me. Mhm. Uh-huh literally and so i knew then that it would be very foolish of me to turn back be the proverbial dog turning back to its vomit Mm -hmm. and so as soon as that happened uh i have letters where i was writing and i was cussing every other word and just you know still talking you know like a wild man and as soon as i you know gave my life to the lord uh you could see that change Mm-hmm. I mean, the next day I started writing another letter to my mom, I think it was, and you could. there was no cuss words, and I was just talking differently. Mm-hmm. So I knew I knew right then that God had come into my heart.
1: So you witnessed this in this man, this preacher, mm-hmm. and you turned to God at that moment?
2: At that moment. And it was right then. I, uh, it might have been that same day or the next day I started writing down goals.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, this was back f- four months before I got out of jail. I was writing goals. I was writing things that I wanted to, to do in the community and, and how I was going to get to those goals because dreams are just dreams until we write them down. Uh, you know, then they turn into goals. But I started doing that and I just had this insatiable desire, this passion, this drive that I was going to be the change that, you know, we need in the community, that we need in the world. Uh, we don't have enough world changers and so I I knew right then that I was going to be that so
1: I kind of want to go into like the what triggered that response right to change like you saw the man what did you what did you feel what did you feel physically in your body what did you experience emotionally in your mind like what kind of feelings were running through the recovery lion's body
2: uh, I, up until that moment i was being tormented uh, and you know I was still having nightmares and using dreams and whenever he come in his name's pastor terry taylor He, he he's the pastor of a whittier baptist so uh, I just want you know, give a shout out to him or anybody that hears that could possibly tell him. I really appreciate you know him sharing the word with me, lead me, help lead me to the Lord. So, but uh, I, it was a uh, liberating. It was a peace, um, and I still have it. You know, I I stay on an even keel because of that because I, I lean on I lean on God for before I do anything. I always try to you know look at it from use godly
1: wisdom to apply to every situation yeah. the circumstance i go through now would you say samantha that your experience was similar like
3: yeah I, uh well yeah i went to jail and i had that moment i i got on my knees and i was like there has to be something different but i don't have the same story i relapsed when i when i left jail okay. um but uh there was a turning mo- moment when i laid on my bed um First time ever using um, something stronger than pills, heroin, and I was dead. I thought I was dead. I mean, I was dying. I was sweating. I was that wasn't me. I was pouring of the sweat like I had been washed with the hose. My whole bed was wet. And I'm like, what? How am I gonna stop this? How? I mean, I can't live like. I can't go to work like this. I can't be a mom like this. I mean, I can't function. There is nothing I can do right now. I and you know, I just I uh, surrendered. I was like, take me to the detox. I asked uh, my best friend, and that's where I went, and that's where it changed. But it was the physical, the withdrawal, uh, defeated, dead, broken. I was done. I was so done. And I had withdrawn so many times before that, but this withdrawal was different. It was worse. I mean, uh, it wasn't me. I was gross. I wasn't myself. Um, I didn't feel like I could be loved. I needed to do something different. Um,
1: I only ask these questions because, like, I tend to take a non-traditional approach yeah. to recovery myself, and yeah. um, you know, I, I have since day one of recovery used a kind of mindfulness-based. Uh, Buddhist approach Mm -hmm. to recovery and a key part of that is like working with your emotions and your feelings and kind of turning turning within to like understand why these things happen and like a huge part of it is is training your mind training yourself to change your relationship to these uncomfortable situations and changing your relationship to pleasure and pain. And for myself, like the, the process of change, all these things that I'm working towards now. And I like, and I have to like focus on in order to, to change. It happened naturally also walking out of jail, but it happened naturally, um, to where like I had so much, Anger, I think was the, the, the key factor. I had so much anger, a little bit of shame, a whole lot of guilt built up. And I walked out of that I got bailed out of jail and I said and I just said I have to change. Mm-hmm. And so like how do you take I work so hard to take these negative feelings and negative emotions or what what society deems negative? emotions and feelings and meet them in a loving and compassionate way. But at that time, walking out of jail, it happened naturally. And so like, my question is like, why, how did it happen naturally? Like, how did I take that anger and that guilt and that shame and make it into a positive on my own, without the training, without the practice, without the knowledge, you know, I immediately started seeking resources, I immediately checked mm-hmm. into a treatment center. And like, that's why I was asking you those questions. Like, what did it feel like? And then how did you do it on your own? Like what, I don't like to use the word trigger, but what led to, by feeling those emotions that you guys kind of described, how did it contribute to you changing? <clears throat>
2: Like I, was, like I was sharing, you know, that, that love that <clears throat> I felt whenever I, you know, gave my life to the Lord, gave, you know, every, I, I was just like, hey, I surrender. I, I can't do this no more. What I've been doing, when I when I try to do things on my own, i make a mess of it. I, I need something, I need someone bigger than me that that's, I feel like, you know, uh, um, has put us all here for a reason. I, I need you to, to guide me, lead me, and direct me. And with that being said, I... Uh, Once uh, once you have a regeneration of the soul, once your values change, once your goals change, once your passion change, once you, you know, rediscover your passion for life and you have these goals and everything, you start changing from the inside out. And by doing that, everything around you starts changing. You don't really have to sit here and say, okay, I'm going to have to change this person, this person, this person. That'll take care of itself by how you act. Mm -hmm. You draw, you know, positivity to you because you're being positive. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that that's that's kind of how it happened with me. I mean, it just it, it was an immediate change, really. Yeah. Uh, I I stopped listening to the same stuff. I don't want to listen to no junk. Mm-hmm. No, you know, a lot of cussing, a lot, lot because I just, you know, the things that come into your the, the eyes and ears are great waste to your soul. I'm a firm believer in that, and so I'm just very careful what I take in and the things you know I look at and the things I listen to. Yeah.
1: So we all know, like from our personal experience and also like friends and family that we dealt with, that, that that, window only opens for a short period of time. And if we don't take the action or take the steps to take advantage of it, we will fall right back into our past behavior. So like when you're working with somebody, Samantha, and that window is open How do you share your message of hope with them in order to for them to be able to take the steps, whether it's whether it's on your job as a peer support specialist or in your personal life?
3: I um, share my story, Uh, give them a real, real hard example of what it looks like, what I went through Um, that don't always work because they think they're there's this different, you know, and it is, but. Um, I lead, I lead them to resources, um, I suggest that they have accountability team, somebody who is hoping, you know, on the other side, um, supporting them get better. Um, when I say resources, it could be a variety of things, um, Like I mentioned before, I work at Meridian. Um, I don't always suggest this to everybody because it don't always work. But, you know, get – find someone to talk to about it. Um, Recovery classes, uh, you know, things that just surround yourself, like Caleb said, totally surround yourself with positivity. Um,
1: But how how do you, like – Break that barrier of trust and kind of like establish trust with them. That's questions for both of you guys. Like, how, how do you how do you get through that barrier? That's because uh, we've been there. We we know that we don't we don't believe anybody but ourselves, and our our mind's telling us to do all these bad things. Mm-hmm. Love, compassion. What does that look like, though?
3: Hold your hand out. Mm-hmm. Come with me. You know I, I, mean? I
2: see you. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. You're valuable.
3: Like, I've been there empathy, relate, let them know that it's okay to be where they're at. It's okay that you are struggling and, you know, recovery is for everybody.
1: Thank you, Samantha, for your insight. That's, uh, that's wise words. And I think it's a good, good stopping point. I want to thank, uh, Caitlin for sitting in on the show with us and being our support from the backside. Hope to have her on very soon. Of course. And yeah. Samantha again for showing up and being so willing to, Uh, Offer your insight and share your personal stories with us.
3: Yes, of course.
1: And I'm going to throw it over to Caleb to kind of offer a little bit of wisdom for you guys before we close out.
2: I want to say thank you, Samantha. Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, like you said, it's come full circle.
3: Yeah, full
2: circle. Here we are. um, (laughs) (laughs) The first story you told was talking about your dad passing away. You know, I was the one that took you to the hospital and, you know, we, we was not, you know, no, in a good place at that time but here we are you know by the grace of God that's right but I want to drop some wisdom um, it's, it's about irrigating relationships and I just want to share that infectious bacteria is attracted to water that's not moving if you don't want that if you don't want your life to be contaminated irrigated with diversity otherwise it becomes toxic infested with disease If you have collected around you, people who are just existing, a certain amount of contamination will come into your life if you're lacking fresh ideas and people who are lifting you up and striving to become better human beings in their own right. Keep your river flowing. That's when healing occurs. When your waters move, healing, change, and moving forward in your life happens. You've got to keep moving forward. If you're going through turmoil, bitterness, have no peace, and most importantly, have no joy, then look around you and most times that will describe what's wrong. You cannot change and grow in an area in which you have become comfortable. It's easy to become comfortable when everyone you run with is as limited as you are. Don't exist. Don't become stagnant. Let your waters flow. Aspire to make a difference because we all have greatness in us.
1: NC Raw wants to hear from you. We want to we want to celebrate with you guys. If you have any upcoming anniversaries in the month of March or the month of April, please submit them through our website so that we can recognize you on our show and celebrate with you. Thank you for listening to NC Raw recovery always. The NC Raw family would like to thank today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work can be found on Facebook, SoundCloud, and YouTube by searching Rival727 and Notes, whose work is on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash alvinhooks. All of our NC Raw content is available by visiting our website at www.ncraw.life Please subscribe to the site to receive exclusive content offers sent directly to your inbox. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at WNCRaw.
3: If anybody's in crisis today, please call Mobile Crisis at 1-888-315-2880.
1: Today's show has been brought to you by the amazing Courtney Stiwalt, Caleb McCoy, Samantha Bradley, and Steve Steen.